Chapter Twelve of the Man Who Ended War. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Sylvia M. B. in Washington State. The Man Who Ended War by Hollis Godfrey. Chapter Twelve. I threw up my curtain next morning to find London settling down into a sea of fog. Already the Thames was wholly hidden, and the water-side of the embankment showed only faint, twinkling lights, just on the point of complete extinguishment. The caped policeman, the hurrying butcher's boy, the labourers and the charwomen passing through the garden below, had all completely lost their individuality, and became, in place of common London types, misty twentieth-century Niobes but dismal though it was without my spirits were cheerful enough within as i started down to meet tom and dorothy we were half through breakfast when hammerly's card was brought in to be followed a few moments later by the man himself i looked with delighted interest at the involuntary start that he gave when he met dorothy how i wish i might rightly describe her as she stood there lighting by her very presence the grey interior of the dining-room shrouded as it was by the london particular everything else was gloom save in the circle where dorothy gave the radiance of her presence hammerly's silent tribute was no more than she exacted from all who met her again and again i marvelled at my audacity in believing i might have this incarnation of youth of power and beauty for my own such thoughts raced through my head as i sat watching the swift interchange of question and answer between tom dorothy and hammerly in response to their inquiries hammerly related the story he had told me the day before and as he ended asked what are you going to do next how are you planning to use your man swenton dorothy answered for tom and myself we are going straight to dr heidenmuller's laboratory taking swenton along i want to have the whole scene before my eyes to see what can be made out of it we should be very glad to have you come with us mr hammerly tom bent towards me with a look of mock anguish on his brow how i had hoped for a peaceful sunday morning he said in a low aside and now we've got to plunge out into a nasty fog chase all over this benighted city never mind i might have known i never can have my own way despite his plaint tom was the first one ready as clothed in raincoat and slouch hat our little party gathered under the shelter of the glass awning inside the court the massive dignity of the carriage porter shrouded in a white glistening rubber coat loomed bulkier than ever as with an elephantine grace he whistled shrilly twice out of a dim background two hansoms dashed into the circle of light where the arcs of the entrance fought bravely against the encroaching fog i'm going with mr hammerly said tom you take dorothy and the other hansom jim and drive straight we'll pick up swenton on the way give the address will you hammerly old jewelry third alley this side of gresham street said hammerly and the cabbies nodded dorothy stepped lightly in before i could lend my aid i followed the porter closed the curtaining doors pulled up the window and we were off embarked on a sea of fog as i looked out i thought i saw tom speaking to our driver but i could not be sure old jewelry said dorothy dreamily how delightfully dickinsonian i haven't an idea where it can be and i don't want to know it's much more fun plunging off into an unknown world of adventure in the good ship handsome cab i happened to have a strong idea where old jewelry was but some guardian angel kept me from speaking never before had i possessed all that was precious to me in life in the small capacity of a handsome cab 
outside passed slowly by a dim neutral city into which street lamps cast pointed lines of light in a vain endeavour to pierce the gloom where ghosts appearing suddenly under our horses feet disappeared quite as suddenly into the blanketing darkness and where now and then a motor-bus came looming past us like some high pooped caravel of spain now and again we stopped now and again we crept at a foot-pace through what seemed at one and the same time an eternity of joy and a fleeting moment of happiness dorothy lay back against the cushioned corner taking in the experience to the utmost we spoke but seldom i proffered no suggestions it was enough for me to sit beside her to know the rough cloth of her tweed ulster touched my hand to feel through every inmost fibre of my being her dear and sweet proximity on and on we travelled till at length i came to the sudden realisation that according to all my impressions we should have been at our destination long before i looked out carefully for the first time the fog was as dense as ever i knew nothing of my whereabouts saying no word to dorothy i kept on trying to pierce the wall of cloud as a hundred questions began to spring up in my brain was there something queer in this was the driver lost or was he purposely taking us in some dangerous direction it did not matter anyway as i looked at dorothy i knew i could protect her against a thousand perils and i felt a warm glow of power of courage springing within my soul just then i saw some arc lights ahead and i peered yet more carefully under them the fog seemed less dense and when a brass plate showed i scanned it eagerly charterhouse i could read no more but that told me where i was in charterhouse square beyond smithfield almost to clerkenwell road we had gone far out of our way while i had been dreaming i threw up the driver's door you must be out of your way i cried i couldn't do better sir came the answer i had to come round and i made it straight for her old jewry sir perhaps there was a note of laughter in the man's voice certainly there was nothing sinister i recalled the glimpse i had caught of tom beside the cab at the savoy and my qualms seizing i inwardly blessed that mischievous spirit dorothy looked up as i spoke is it all right jim she asked it's perfectly all right i answered and she fell back into her happy meditation while i inwardly made still more remarks on her ingenious brother silent and happy we went on my mind quite at rest now and not in the least anxious to come to the inn the cab stopped and the little door at the top opened with a click this is the place sir i jumped out and looked around no cab in sight well i said to dorothy here's a pretty go nobody in sight and i don't know which is the house without a word dorothy leaned forward and whistled a single bar out of the fog came the notes repeated and a moment later across the street came tom oh you've reached here finally have you said he he traced sarcastically i thought you'd never arrive i couldn't imagine what kept you as he spoke i heard a sort of choked gasp from the top of the hansom but fortunately dorothy's suspicions were not aroused it hasn't seemed so very long she answered simply to which tom responded oh really hasn't it as he took her arm to lead her across the street he called back to our cabby as we left drive forward a little and you'll find a sort of shelter where you can wait the other cab's there right sir came the reply and we heard the slow movement of his disappearing wheels as we three were left in the ocean of fog swenton's hunting up the caretaker said tom hammerly and i have been waiting for him to come back the old rooms are locked up tight we found hammerly in a vestibule where a single glass lamp flickered and as we waited we fell into talking in low tones 
the mist seemed to bring our voices to a minor key perhaps ten minutes had passed when the door opened and swenton entered accompanied by a man in a coarse ticking apron this is the caretaker sir he began bowing to dorothy and me he refused to let me in to get my things says the laboratory was left after dr heidenmuller's death to another chemist a gentleman who bought all the doctor's stuff from the heirs he was there off and on for a little while but he went away quite a long time ago went one night suddenly and never came back this man says the agents won't allow anybody in i brought him here so you could talk to him if you wished the caretaker stood silent and sullen as swenton spoke his hands deep in the front pockets of his apron i do want to speak with him said tom briefly come here and he led the way apart the caretaker following a moment's conversation was broken only by a golden clink accompanied by the jingle of keys after which the caretaker disappeared and tom turned back to us i have here he said mysteriously a bunch of keys which i strangely found on the floor in the rear of this hall suppose we ascend to the top floor and see if they will work there dorothy's face was clouded as tom came up to the spot where we were standing a little apart hammerly and swenton had already started up the stairs i'm not sure that you are doing right in this tom said dorothy swiftly in a low voice i don't like to bribe a servant to let us into a place where we don't belong tom's face became serious in a minute i don't like it either dorothy he answered gravely but i'm going to do it do you remember the little german middy lying down at the bottom as long as the man who is trying to stop all war is at large there are thousands of men in hourly peril i honestly believe we are the only ones who can run the man down i am convinced we shall be wholly justified in such action dorothy stood for a moment in silent thought i think you're right tom she said quietly in this case i hope and believe the end will justify the means we must find the man go ahead stumbling through the darkness we reached the top where the flame of a match showed a strong oak door with two yale locks upon it tom had the keys in immediately and threw the door open once within swenton passed with accustomed step to the wall turned a switch and incandescence lighted the whole place we were in a sort of anteroom with desks and chairs the outer office said swenton briefly we passed to an inner door the main laboratory remarked swenton this was similar to any other laboratory a good-sized motor generator in one corner covered by a rubber sheet a couple of tile-topped tables a set of shelves on one side filled with labeled reagent bottles a set of glass cases supported on a base filled with drawers on the other in the cabinets were glassware and apparatus of various sorts tom started for the case but dorothy laid a restraining hand on his arm wait till we have seen it all then we'll go over the whole piece by piece tom nodded and we went on there were three doors on the opposite side of the wall swenton passed to the first and opened it the storeroom he explained within were wooden cases of glassware large carboys of acid glass tubing on racks and wire on spools in one corner was apparently a hospital for broken or disused pieces of apparatus we turned from this to the second door the balance room said swenton as they threw open the portal three balances in polished wood and shining glass met our eyes there was nothing else in the room swenton opened a third door the spectroscope room he said beyond is the doctor's private laboratory a big piece of apparatus on the table was covered with a green cloth beyond was a wooden door 
despite myself i felt a queer nervous tremor pass over my frame as i looked at the commonplace wooden panels behind which dr heidenmuller had sat dead killed by the same mysterious power which had slain the men i had seen lying quietly at the bottom of portsmouth harbour tom and hammerly were as keen as hounds on a scent swinton interested but more indifferent dorothy pale her eyes glittering with excitement hammerly reached the door first tried it and swung it back the incandescent had not been turned on in the spectroscope room and the only light which entered was the golden lane which came through from the main laboratory it seemed like a strange setting the light fell on a heavy wooden table and a couple of windsor chairs the rest was but faintly outlined a moment's pause on the threshold as if we expected to meet some horror we knew not what and then we rushed in together there was nothing to be seen wood-panelled walls windows sealed by wooden shutters the wooden table and the two wooden chairs that was all we stood there silent until tom broke the quiet nothing to do but to sherlock holmes it he said we have all later on this thing down swenton there's a piece of apparatus here that i need the doctor may never have had it outside his room as a whole yet we may find traces of it in the laboratory or the storeroom are you willing to help us hunt i should be the most ungrateful man living sir if i were not said swenton earnestly i owe my wife's life to you and miss haldane he glanced at dorothy so that's where you've been the last two mornings i whispered to her as tom went on i found them just coming out of great distress she answered simply i am so glad i was able to help now cried tom let's sit down to another council of war come out into the outer laboratory and we'll talk it over the drawn shades the bright gleam of the laboratory lamps reflected back from polished tile and cabinet door gave a distinctly cheerful aspect to the scene as we settled down i have been thinking this matter over carefully for some time began hammerly in his rather careful tones once we were seated and if you do not object i should like to present my theories go right ahead said tom hammerly went on somewhat thoughtfully i think you're wrong in saying we ought to follow the methods of sherlock holmes we ought rather to follow dupin poe's detective the man who preceded sherlock holmes try to reason out what the doctor would have had on hand with regard to the power and where he would have had it try to analyze the action of his brain rather than hunt for minute data let's see what we know about dr heidenmuller he was a german of the most typical student type that means he would never do anything without putting it down on paper he had every desire to keep what he was doing from those around him that is evident from the fact that swenton never knew anything about the interior of this room if the doctor made notes as i believe he must have done he would have wanted them within reach so he must have had them in this room he was a brilliant scientist therefore he would not by preference have used any of the ordinary methods of concealment his notes and apparatus were likely to take up a comparatively large amount of space so that we are impelled to the definite conclusion that there is a concealed closet somewhere in that inner chamber if we could take the time to remove the whole of the walls and could get permission to do so we could i believe find the hiding place but that would involve time expense and running down the people who at present control the place and own the apparatus i strongly question whether that would be worth while no said tom i don't believe it would if there were any chance of the man who has hired this place being the man we are after i'd say go for him at any cost 
but i don't believe there's one chance in a thousand that it is he's too sharp to stay around where dr heidenmuller died under such peculiar circumstances i agree to that said hammerly and i too i chimed in dorothy said nothing but as i watched her i saw the rose of her cheeks growing deeper and that peculiar change in her eye that showed she had already leapt beyond the reasoning of the others and grasped the answer by intuition one question first she began mr swinton did the doctor leave the door to the spectroscope room open when he went into his private room no answered swinton slowly he would go into the spectroscope room lock that door and then you could hear the inner door open and shut sometimes he would not come out again but i have often heard him come out into the anteroom about three or four minutes after he went in stay there for a minute or two then go in again and come out once more after that he would be shut up there for hours together that settles it cried dorothy i'm sure i know how he opened his secret closet or closets you remember the insulated wire covering they found when they came in after the doctor's death will nodded eagerly that was the winding of an electromagnet he attached it to the long flexible cord of that incandescent light socket in the anteroom took it in opened his closets brought it out again and went back see if you can find an electromagnet in the cases or the storeroom and we'll open things up scarcely were the words out of her mouth before swinton had hurried to a drawer and pulled out three small electromagnets all of the same size here are the only ones i know of in the laboratory he exclaimed i can connect one of them with the flexible cord in a minute we shall want more light though if one of you gentlemen will get another connector and fix it to a socket i'll fit the magnet you'll find some connectors for that size socket in the storeroom i'm sure with four practised hands at work it was scarce ten minutes before an incandescent stood on the table in the inner room while we had an electric magnet connected to a long flexible cord which brought current from an incandescent light socket in the next room dorothy stood in the centre once more in command i believe it's under one of those pegs she said see what's under them round and round the room we went pulling at every peg that joined the seal walls under each was a nail tom picked up one of the pegs as we drew it forth humph he cried insulated by chyma that explains why the nails were left what a careful job this was anyway hammerly and swinton nodded i started to ask what chyma was but i was pulling on a particularly refractory peg just then and let it go the word stuck fast in my memory however it was the same one i had seen in tom's book on our journey up from portsmouth as each peg came out a little electromagnet was brought up to the hole and its action watched not a nail stirred we had gone around three sides of the room when tom called out this peg came easily bring over the magnet before i could bring the magnet within an inch of the hole the nail within sprang out and attached itself to the magnet just as a needle springs up and clings to the horseshoe magnet of a child as it sprung the whole panel four feet high and three feet across opened on easy hinges and swung outward showing a small inner door tom gave a long low whistle right again sister he remarked what should we do without you the stout oak door strong as it was proved no obstacle to our attack and readily swung outward stooping we peered within empty shelves on one side a row of drawers on the other one by one we drew the drawers from their places 
every one was empty from top to bottom the recesses we searched but without avail finally we straightened up with blank faces there must have been something here said dorothy slowly hang it ejaculated tom i know there was if you want to know my real opinion there has been somebody here ahead of us i don't believe we'll find a thing we did not and the last inspection over we were ready to take our leave when tom broke in one last thing he said i want to see how that incandescent light in the ceiling can be connected without outside metal that reflector by the way looks like clear glass but it must have some reflecting power he jumped lightly to a chair thence to the table and turned to look through the clear glass of the big hemispherical shade which had guarded the incandescent in the ceiling oh i say he exclaimed here's a most extraordinary thing everything seen through this is bent double here's the biggest refraction i ever saw can it be the glass or something inside of it this thing is hermetically sealed above do you know i believe we've got one solution of the mystery here we all stood looking eagerly up at him as he gazed through the globe End of chapter 12